Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, welcome. Don't even at me because I got an absolute monster going for you today. We've got Cato Kalen. Yes, that Cato Kalen. The man, the house guest of the great O.J. Simpson. Or not the great O.J. Simpson. You know what I'm saying. See, to me, he's still the great O.J. Simpson. I can't get my mind around it. When I see somebody running in the airport, I say, run, O.J., run, even now. But the dirtbag. That is O.J. Simpson. Cato Kalen's going to join us, our friend Chad Withrow. But first, the NFL, ladies. I don't understand this. Brock Purdy is the best story in sports. I was going to say football. And then, no, 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 no. He's the best story in sports. Mr. Irrelevant. All he does is go 19 for 29, 214, but that's not even it. See, here's what makes me nuts. This makes me crazy. Nobody's giving him any credit. All I hear about is, well, you know, they got a great defense and he's a quarterback-friendly offense by Shanahan, and that's crap. Brock Purdy, if you watch the game, do people watch the game? Do media folks actually watch the game? I don't think that they do. I swear to God, because every third down when they needed it, Brock Purdy, whoop, whoop, whoop. What did he do? He put it right there. That's right. Brock Purdy put the ball on the numbers, mostly to George Kittle. But it's the best story in football. We get so wrapped up with this. Well, Deshaun Watson's making $230 million. You know what I saw when I turned my TV on today? When I turned my TV on, the first thing that I saw was Lamar Jackson, $133 million. Guess what? Lamar Jackson punked out on his team. I don't care what anybody tells you. So the team then is now punking out on the rest of its players by kissing Lamar Jackson's backside. Oh, by the way, what did I tell you about the Buffalo Bills? What did I tell you about Josh Allen? I said it. I didn't like his eyes. This is going back eight months. I didn't like his eyes. I didn't like his eyes in a golf match. You see those eyes right there? I didn't like those eyes. They're all right. I told Aaron Perini this. I told you all this. Eyes matter to coaches. Eyes do not matter to media. I remember telling some guy named Ryan Russillo about a man named Crispus Porzingis. When I said on Russillo's show on ESPN, whoever drafts, Crispus Porzingis is not going to get out of the lottery. And guess what? The New York Knicks drafted him. Number two, didn't get out of the lottery. I told you I didn't like Josh Allen's eyes. They looked like they were kind of little brotherish. What I'm doing here is I'm pushing up. See, I'm pushing up, trying to get to big brother. They look little brotherish. Next thing you know, he's out of the playoffs. He didn't play bad. Not necessarily his fault. What did he do? He ran into Joe Burrow. He ran into Joe Burrow, America's coolest and possibly best quarterback. You know what else he ran into? 250 yards rushing. You know what else he ran into? Our friend, Teddy Karras Jr. Jr. Teddy Karras Jr. Jr. is the center for the Cincinnati Bengals. Cincinnati Bengals just, I am using this ironically, snowplowed the Buffalo Bills in the snow. Now that was a fun game. I have a theory. They should outlaw every dome stadium. 
Every game should be played like that. Every game should be played in the snow. Aaron Perini, second time I've mentioned her in the first three minutes, absolutely right. It was romantic. It was cozy. Glass of wine, watching a football game in the snow, people having a blast, and Joe Burrow and the running attack. Joe Burrow and the running attack, the offensive line of the Cincinnati Bengals got it done. Now, let me ask you a question. Joe Burrow is considered Joe Cool because Joe Burrow tells you what he's going to do. Very matter of fact, what's the window, Joe, for you guys to win a championship as long as I'm playing? Woo, strong. But why isn't Brock Purdy a bigger story? Drives the very diverse media crazy. White guys cannot put, they can't do it. See, white media can't do it. They can't make, well, you know, if I make Brock Purdy great, then I don't know what's going to happen. Somebody may say I'm being racist. And of course, the African-American media, they don't want nothing to do with Brock Purdy. They want to talk about Deshaun Watson and his money, Lamar Jackson. That's exactly what it is. All I read about is, today I'm reading in e- on ESPN, well, you know, he's in a very friendly offense. Shut up. That dude is throwing dimes. Oh, by the way, don't make me start on Patrick Mahomes. How great is he? Do you remember, do you remember when LeBron James had to be held off, helped off of the freaking court because he had a cramp? I don't know whether it was a leg you know, internal, I don't know, but he had a cramp. And they had to lift Lamar, or excuse me, they had to lift LeBron James off the court. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We got to get him off the field. We got to get him off the court. We got to get him off. I can't believe it. Oh, my God. What are we going to do? Well, guess what? If you've ever had a high ankle sprain, it hurts. It hurts for the bejesus it hurts. It hurts like nothing in the world hurts. And don't tell me a lot of these guys are saying, well, you know, uh, it doesn't hurt when it happens. You can still play. No, it hurts like crazy. So they taped up Patrick Mahomes. They put Patrick Mahomes in a position where it's like, hey, look, we don't want to use you. Chad Haney came in and gave him a 90-yard, 95-yard drive. Patrick, no, Mahomes is like, no, 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 no. I'm playing. I'm playing. I don't want to hear about it. Screw you. This is what we're doing. And guess what? He came back. And guess what? Not only did he come back, he willed his team. He demanded that the coaches put him in. Compare that with the little pukes in the NBA. Compare that with, well, you know, I need load management. I need somebody somewhere to sit me out because playing 48 minutes of basketball is so taxing. It's so taxing. It's so demanding. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know where we're going to go. Oh, my God. Well, Lamar, uh, excuse me, Patrick Mahomes played with a high ankle sprain. Now, let me tell you, toughest kid I coach is a kid named uh, David Esterkamp. Ankle, high ankle. I said, Camp, get your ass ready to play. You got two ankles. You know what I mean? You got two ankles. I I don't want to hear it. And I knew if I said that, it was going to motivate him. I said, you get ready to play, I'll put you in the game. He could barely walk, but I put him in the game for a minute, and he kind of looked and smacked me. You know, that's what guys do. I can hear you guys now saying, oh, my God, you put a player at risk. No, I didn't. Shut up. Oh, my God, I can't believe I saw one guy say, 
uh, well, my God, uh, well, Patrick Mahomes, uh, that's your franchise. You got to play. No, no, you got to sit him. Oh, you're risking his future. Shut up. That's weenie blank, millennial blank, NBA blank thinking. No, Patrick Mahomes is sitting there telling the coach, I'm in. I'm playing. Why am I yelling? I'm fired up today. I'm in. I'm playing. Don't at me. Don't at me, coach. Chad's great. I love Chad. Do you know who was drafted right behind Chad Henney? Brian Brom, who's like in his 10th year as a college head coach. It's a great story. But I'm all in on Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes a stud. Patrick Mahomes an absolute freaking stud. Hi, LeBron. Uh, do you have, oh, I don't know, LeBron Bron. Do, uh, do you have a cramp? Is it an ankle? Or excuse me, is it a foot cramp? Is it an, a, a calf cramp? Is it a thigh cramp? Is it a back cramp? Is it a shoulder cramp? I'm giving you all the cramps. I didn't get menstrual. Don't get mad at me. I did not say menstrual. You all did. I did not. But apparently, if you listen to our society, men can have menstrual cramps if you look the idiots. But LeBron had a cramp. He had to be carried off. Well, guess what? Patrick Mahomes had a high ankle sprain in a sport where you use your legs, and he didn't need nothing. He didn't need jack squat. He didn't need nothing. He just kept balling. And oh, by the way, anybody seen anybody that can – and show that picture uh, of LeBron when you get it. Doesn't matter what I'm talking. There he is. Oh, he got a cramp. Oh, my God. Look at Jawan Howard. Oh, we got to help my brother out. Yeah, here he's up. Oh, I got a cramp. Patrick Mahomes is playing with, like, Torador shooting himself up, and these guys got cramps. I got two words for you. My backside. I got cramps. I got cramps. It hurts. Uh, Anybody better than the Eagles? 16 of 24, 188, doesn't matter. Three total touchdowns. Look at what the Eagles did to the Giants. Now, all of a sudden, Brian Dable is just another guy, and he is. Uh, Daniel Jones, I feel bad for you, son. 15 of 27, 135 yards, very pedestrian. And all of a sudden, now, Saquon Barkley's great. Saquon Barkley's fine. Saquon Barkley's good. Only the Colts would pay extra for Saquon Barkley. Only the Colts. Because the Colts will pay for guys that don't matter. Running backs don't matter. I'm sorry, they don't. I heard somebody today say, well, you know, running game and defense travels on that idiot Herm Edwards. Well, you know, okay, Herm Edwards, whatever you say, Slick. Whatever you say, pal. All right, yay, yay, Rod, go fight with. Herm Edwards, my (laughs) running game and defense travels. Really? All right. Running game and defense. Well, there you go. Uh, and uh, how, how about this Isaac Pachenko? You know what they said about him? They said that he runs, when he runs, he pounds the ground like he's angry at the ground. Seventh round pick. I don't even know if there are seven rounds. Hell, he's a tenth round pick. What does he do? 95 yards. What does Brock Purdy do? Lead his team. Brock Purdy's a stud the media can't even talk about. I read some article at ESPN that said that, well, you know, Brock Purdy, he's in an offense that's very, very quarterback friendly, and the defense carries it. My backside. Brock Purdy put the ball right there all day. He got a lot of help from his friend, George Kittle. I assume it's his friend. If it's not his friend, it should be his friend. But all that aside, we got Cato Kalen with us today. We got Cato Kalen. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that Cato Kalen. The one, 
the only Cato Kalen, and he's nice enough to join us right now. Cato Kalen in his pajamas, live from Hollywood. Why can't anybody give respect to Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, Cato Kalen? I, I don't. I, I disagree with that. I think people do give this guy respect. I mean, the guy, the guy obviously is a champ. I mean, this guy has proven he's this uh, Mr. Irrelevant. He's going into games. And he's winning games. I mean, honestly, this guy is amazing. And I'm thinking to myself, is it really that hard to be a quarterback? I mean, this guy came out of nowhere. And he's he's a champion. And you probably don't know. In high school, back in uh, Nicolay, in my in my days, I was the uh, starting quarterback. And uh, yeah, this is, well, I was homeschooled, Dan. But still, it meant a lot. <laughs> See, I, that that leads me to something. I was on your podcast. And yes. I said to you, like, everybody back in the day when you were America's most second most famous man behind uh, the juice, I said, you know, people thought you were this California hippie, this surfer guy, you had the hair, and you're like, no, wait a second, I'm from Wisconsin. Yeah, I, I, you know, it was an immediate association because I had the long hair, much like yourself, and I had this long hair, and I, you know, people said... Oh, that guy! That guy's a pothead. That guy's everything that I wasn't. And uh, but, but I, I I knew who I was, so it didn't bother me, Dan. But um, yeah, I'm I'm a guy just from Wisconsin. I got six siblings, and uh, my, my parents, my both have passed away. But man, I'm telling you, great great parents. And I, a real quick story. Um, I love sports. My my father had 44 tickets to Packer games. 44 tickets because he owned uh, two restaurants. So he always took his best fans. And I, when I was just a little kid, I saw what loyalty was. I, I saw how this is their tough years. They didn't care. They just went to games to have fun. This is when they played at Lambeau and County Stadium in Milwaukee. And so uh, I had three other brothers. We all got one game a year. And I, it was the best time of my life. And when the Packers would play on the road, my mom and dad, we had this long hallway in our house. And when the Packers would score, they would run from one end to the other and hit each other's stomachs <laughs> a little bit heavy and kiss each other. So I grew up with that, and, and that's why I'm a loyal fan. And then when the Packers, when they, when they don't succeed, I have depression. Every, I, I, I'm sure you know what it's like when you, when you lose and you just you can't take your Sunday and you take it on everything. I've gone through about nine remotes this season. I, I'm not kidding you. I am not good. I can't watch games with people. You know, there's an episode in Curb Your Enthusiasm where one of Larry's friends is a Jets fan and he commits suicide because he can't take it anymore. Yeah, I know that episode. I know. Well, I'm not going to go that far, I hope. You know, I don't want to overdose on cheese and beer. <laughs> I can't take it anymore. Give me some spotted cow and some cheese curds until it's over, until it's done. That's what it's like. You know, I just got married recently, and I, I, my uh, wife's from the East Coast, um, Beijing, the far, far East Coast. And uh, she's, uh, she's I'm trying to get her into sports, and she's watching football a lot. And when they go in the huddle, she goes, what are those guys discussing? So it's kind of and, – and, and she calls – and for some reason, every time Gonzaga plays, she thinks they're called Godzilla – you know, and I go, yeah, they're playing Mothra. Yeah, it's a really tough game. So it's, it's really hard. So she's the a great she's Kato Kalen joins us. Is, is, <laughs> you know, is, was way, your love of sports? Go ahead. 
I was just going to say, uh, uh, I want you to continue my love of sports. Anything that has to do with love, I'm all for. So my love of sports, what was your question? My question is, how did, let's go back to the OJ. Did your love of sports, like I try to tell people to this day, OJ Simpson was so big to this day, somebody's running through the airport. I swear to God, I, I say run OJ run. I, I did. So as a sports fan, all of a sudden you're hanging out in the OJ Simpson crowd, which isn't just OJ Simpson. And that had to be like, until it went bad, that had to be awesome. Well, I'll tell you the truth. First of all, if you go to the airports, everything, no one's running there because there's too many delays. Um, right. <laughs> um, no, I didn't really. Uh, Dan, Dan, to tell you the truth, I didn't hang out with uh, OJ. I, I was living in the guest house. I saw him a few times. You got to remember, I was in a different tax bracket. He was he was more Danish, and I'm still donuts. So, but of the times that I um, I did see, uh, you know, certain uh, elements. I, I you know I lived on both sides. I lived at Nicole's for a while and OJ's. So I kind of had the room with a view, and I kind of saw what was. Uh, you know, sometimes what's important in Brentwood is to keep up with the Joneses who had the new Range Rover. And, and uh, uh, it was, it, you know, sometimes it was sort of like that scene, going to a party with a lot of wealth. And um, although uh, I saw the, the definite love Nicole had for her kids, definitely great mom. So, but but getting back to your question, I was not a real, you know, hangout with OJ. And um, that, that was it. I had my own set of friends, my own entrance to, to my guest house. And I still got the guest house key. It rooms. It opens a room to nothing now because there's no there's no door. There's no house. So I I kept the key. I I can tell you're guarded still. You're a little guarded when you talk about all of this. You sound like a basketball coach. Guarded. I oughta. <laughs> you do. You, know, you sound like you. It's almost like you know if you say anything, like if I ask you a simple question, there's no way you will give me the answer. Do you think OJ did it? Oh, I, my opinion? Oh, yeah, I, I've said that on air before. I, I think OJ's guilty. That's my opinion. I think most people do. I think right now where he's, where he's at in his life, he's got his fans on Twitter or whatever, and he's got his people that love him, the, people that hate him. Like the killer of Ron and Nicole? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, we were going to play. Know, like I said, he's we got, were going to play. We were going to Fans. What, what was it like being Cato Kalen when every time you turned on SNL or Carson or whatever, what, what was it like being you? Well, I, I think it's it, that part I kind of laughed at because I, I have a sense of humor and I, I'm self deprecating. I don't mind people playing jokes on me. Um, so that part was is, was kind of funny because I thought it was sort of endearing. If it was with mean spirit, I didn't like that because it hurt my feelings. And when, when my mother was alive, it really hurt her feelings. So it was two different things. If someone was being mean-spirited, you can kind of tell. But when someone was being playful, um, that made a, made a huge difference because, you know, I say certain things. It's like uh, it's nice that I can afford to finally live on my own couch. It's kind of nice. You are self-deprecating, and that I, 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 I'm telling you, the funniest thing when I said Bob Knight and I were looking at each other, and he said, "Hey, you think that mf or no?" Here's a story. I didn't tell it on this air, but Coach Knight and I are sitting and we're watching, and Cato's on there, and I don't know whether I, I can't remember, but there's a TV. It's a zenith, you know. We got the zenith going and the clicker and all that, 
And, and he hits me and he goes, hey, Danny, you think this mf thinks he's going to jail? And I go, coach, I, I, I don't know, but your answer was great. Your answer was, hey, look, I knew who I was. I knew what I didn't do, so hell no. Yeah, no, exactly. And uh, also, I, you know, I was, I was brought in for questioning. I met with the detectives quite, quite a few times. And um, actually, I, I started to, um, you know, now I'm not saying a friendship where I hang out with them, but I am still to this day in touch with Tom Lang, the lead detective. Uh, we've talked many times on the phone. He did my One Degree of Scandalous podcast, which everybody should subscribe to on YouTube. It's with Tom Zenner. Tom, of course, a sportscaster, also a newscaster for many, many years. And you were kind enough to do the show. Uh, so Tom Lang would say, you know, this is him saying, he's like, after a little bit, Cato, we knew you were a pretty good guy. So I took that as sort of a, well, kind of cool. And then, and then they had the famous line yeah. to me with him and Phil Vanetter, And they said, Cato, we have so much evidence in this case. It's a two-minute Columbo episode. <laughs> did you get nerd? Like, I, I don't care whether I did it or not, which obviously this wasn't you being – I don't yeah. care what. I don't care – I, I, I want to crap myself if, you know, Lang and Van Etter and those guys are knocking on my door going, hey, we want to talk to you. I'd start shuffling through my whole life. Like, what did I do in 86? What did I do in 75? Holy crap. Well, you know, the, the thing was, it was sort of like uh, doing your show. It was like me getting up at five in the morning and, uh, you know, I, I said, do I have a paper route? No, it was getting up in the morning and I, I didn't even ask questions. I just looked and I saw four guys. I opened the door. Like, you know, I had that kind of Wisconsin thing like, oh, who are they? you know, you open up, you're, you're kind of thinking, you never think of the negative. I had no idea who they were. And I just, then they decided, said who they were at my door. I, I, I thought, first thing I said was, what's wrong? And did OJ's plane crash? Because I know he went uh, to Chicago. They came in the door. Uh, Mark Furman asked me uh, questions like what I wore last night. And they didn't say, they were only asking me questions. And I showed them everything. And uh, I put my clothes on this chair. They checked my, my, what my shoes wore. They looked in the bottom. And then at myself, I'm going, I have no idea. I had no idea what's going on. But now I'm like a seasoned veteran of uh, episode 3000 of Forensic Files. I know everything they're doing. So, um, so I didn't, I had I, nothing. I was, whatever they needed, I was there to, to help them. But I never thought of what, what happened. Did you ever think you were under suspicion by them, ever? Uh, no, I, I went right, you know, I was with them from the time, from the moment they came in the door. I, I was with them, and then I went to the police station for, I, I had to be at least eight or nine hours. So that's, uh, that's what I, I knew nothing. I answered any kind of question they had. It's, it, I don't know you. We've talked a couple times, and I am coming to L.A. because I want to run in your circles because, well... Those are fun circles, it seems like to me. I can't imagine you're sitting in a police station for eight hours and you're not joking. You're not cracking some kind of joke or you're not saying something over eight hours, self-deprecating well, or something. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm in an interrogation room, where I, I think, which I didn't know it was, but I'm in a room by myself. They're coming in and out and uh, there's a, you know, it's a very small, small room and, uh, I think after a few hours, I, I did, you know, they, they asked me if I wanted breakfast and all that. And uh, I said, uh, no, I'm not hungry and all that, but it was prison food. So I didn't care. It was what they serve people in the jail. It was like a, a five-day-old Chipotle burrito. I'm like, no, no, that's okay. I got my own gas. 
<laughs> Honest to God. Well, look, you became, I mean, who? All right. This is the stuff I like. You ready? All right. All right. Don't forget, though, we got to talk about Ice Wars, too. We got to talk about Ice Wars, too, later. We will. I swear. But I got to hey. ask you, you're, you're a guy that is, I, I can see why, like, people gravitate to you. I can see it. I, I told a couple friends of mine I'm like, I, that live in uh, Hollywood, I go, you ever meet Cato Kalen? They're like, no. Nah. I go, man, I can see why people just want to hang with the guy. I can see this. You become yeah. uber famous. You're, a, you're an international what? superstar. Hello? The call phone is ringing off the... <laughs> I, yeah, I, I'm talking to Dan. I got it. Call me back. Okay, I will. Bobby Knight. Bobby Knight. Oh, God. I, I'm ducking. I'm, I, it makes me nervous, Cato. I don't know what's going to happen to me. It's, it's 30 years later, and I still don't know. <clears throat> Who's the most famous person to hit on you? Well, I, you know, I, I would think that... Can I tell you a story before the trial? That I, Please. To show you that I had some game. Uh, in 1993... Uh, the, the, you know, this is before OJ. It was um, uh, Catherine Oxenberg and I dated for a little bit. And she was from a show called Dynasty. I met in Aspen. So she she went on to marry a few people. I think Casper Van Diem from Star Troopers and, of course, Robert Evans. So um, that would be probably most famous. And I became friends with certain but you people. Had, you had people throwing themselves at you. You were not only, not only you know, Cato Kalin involved in this, but you're a very handsome, very likable man. So people were just throwing themselves at you at that time. At, at that time, I, yeah, it was, you know, certain <laughs> things happened, but uh, I, I have a wife upstairs. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> no. I, the, the line of the day, hey, certain things happened. <laughs> There's Catherine Oxenberg. I remember her. Wasn't she yeah. always like a vixen or something? She was always like the vixen in something. She was on Dynasty. That she, was, yeah. uh, she was on a show called Dynasty and also uh, uh, actual, an actual princess from, I don't know which country it was. I think it's the one that was right next to Barat's country. <laughs> when, you, when, you, uh, when you do stuff, we mentioned Ice Wars, which I want to get to. Uh, yeah. one degree of scandalous when you do these things and you talk to schmucks like me, is it frustrating for you that it's like, Hey pal, the OJ thing was like years ago. Why you, uh, let's move on here. I mean, I don't mind if you tell me that I got no problem with that, but I've read like 10 books on this, including one by the mad Jack or Jeffrey Tubin. And you know, I, I'm fascinated. <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't on that zoom call. <laughs> um, um, yeah, no, I, I think it's, I think it is fascinating. Let's face it. It had a, a show, American Crime Story, Ryan Murphy won, uh, I think at least I think eight Emmys, the, the ESPN documentary won the Oscar. Every time that something comes up, it's always, in, anytime there's a trial, Dan, I get phone calls, you know, during the Johnny Depp trial, uh, Amber Heard trial. I get calls from every network and all that to have my opinion. And it's like, no, I don't want to stay at one. I call that trial the 21 dump streets. But, you know, you get phone calls. Uh, <laughs> and uh, now that Alan Baldwin's going to have a trial, I'm sure I'll be getting calls about that because it's people are fascinated. They're fascinated when something else happens in, in someone's life. And they go, oh, my life's not that bad. 
and they love crime. Let's face it. Our podcast is doing great because it's crime related. The number one podcast is our crime related uh, besides yours. And it's, no. it's because the fascination of people that they had of that trial. And it's sort of like the template of any kind of trial that happens today. Look, uh, One Degree of Scandalous is about trials, and, and it is very popular, and you and Tom do a great job with it. Um, tell people what it is and, and the premise of it, which I think is awesome. Yeah, One Degree of Scandalous with Tom Zenner. Um, you can Google Tom's got major, major credits. Uh, he kind of keeps me uh, going and all that takes to stay focus. So we do uh, scandals that are current and scandals from the past. And every guest, uh, every uh, it's sort of like uh, we'll, we probably will have a guest from the Rust trial, Alec Baldwin, and we kind of keep up with everything current, and we compare it to something that happened in the past, like a, like a Tom Lang, and then we have uh, Jason Alexander, who was married to Britney Spears, her first husband. He was caught jumping over the fence to crash her wedding. We had him as a guest. We had the first person that was uh, when Ann Haish crashed her car. He was the gentleman that ran to the car and saw her first. So we, we kind of keep up with everything that's happening, it's sort of the zeitgeist of shows. Um, uh, with current and, of course, with past. And it's, it really is fascinating. And, man, I'm telling you, some of the people that we have on, it's just like I, we go usually about an hour. But we could go on for hours and hours because it's so titillating, all the stories they tell. So um, uh, that's on YouTube. Uh, it's Apple. And wherever you get your podcast, but YouTube better because it, you can see if I have a good hair day. <laughs> and, uh, uh, well, yeah, I, it's gone really I, well. I don't think you- – have you ever had a bad hair day? Because you were the original, in my opinion. My my players at Bowling Green in the early or late 90s did all this. My son then, of course, did all this. And you still do all this, which congratulations by having enough hair to do all that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, if I could do an endorsement, hey, Redkin, please send me more gel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, tell people about Ice Wars. Oh, uh, this. Uh, you know, uh, Dan, this is really exciting. And I'll tell you, uh, Ice Wars is prize fighting, MMA fighting with real hockey players on ice. Now, if anybody knows what it's like to skate, it's difficult. To skate and fight, even more difficult. Uh, there was a, uh, a show on Netflix called Untold Crimes and Penalties uh, with the Galante family and the DB Trashers. Uh, incredible documentary, number one on Netflix right now uh, for the past year. Um, Jimmy Galante, AJ Galante. AJ is our president of Ice Wars. Uh, Charlie Nama created Ice Wars. He's been a friend of mine for many, many years. He came up with the concept. He said, let's cut out the hockey game and go right to the fights. People love the fighting on ice. So we did two of them pay-per-views in Canada. The reaction was off the chart. We had people like Pat McAfee, I believe a friend and neighbor of yours, he loves it. He, he rants and raves and has been a big, big fan of ours, promoting it a lot in his show. Um, Barstool Sports you know, has written articles saying this is the greatest sport ever. And I, I'm the host of it. Well, you know, I go in the audience and I also uh, do some of the fights with Chris Terrian. He's the voice of the Philadelphia Flyers, also played for the Flyers. And Phil Jubiliano, uh, he is the voice of the DB Trashers. And uh, when I go into the crowd and talk to people while the fights are going on, they are so full of energy, and they say, this is better than the UFC. So we know we got a really good thing. Our next one is going to be either March and April. We don't know. It's going to be the first one in America. It's going to be either in Philadelphia or it's going to be in Wyoming. We don't know, but it's the first one in America. We know it's going to – It's 
it already is, you know, is that a ground level? It is now becoming a skyscraper. So really exciting. And I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm a producer on it. I get the host. Philadelphia, Wyoming. Now, I'm, I, as soon as you said that, I thought to myself, perfect. Perfect. You got the these demon dozers. Hey, man, I'm going to kick your ass in Philadelphia, man. I'm going to beat them. You blah, blah, blah. And then you got the Cowboys that will beat you. And, of course, it plays into the whole Yellowstone thing. You're a freaking genius, Cato Kalen. I could barely hear you. What? <laughs> and, and, Danny says what? Dan, Again? Dan, Dan I, I also want to tell you, a very dear friend of mine, uh, Dan Frisch, also he went to IU. Um, he has a, been a friend of mine for almost over 30 years. And Dan, Dan created a show. I just got done shooting a pilot. We did three episodes. This is really, I, I know it's going to get picked up. It's called Teen Court. Teen Court. John Gray is the judge. You can Google John Gray. He's an uh, influencer, um, uh, a pastor of um, Oprah and Obama's and all, all that stuff. Huge, huge following. He's the judge. It's teens. Teens taking their parents to court over issues like Call me he or she. I'm a gender. And we got, uh, you know, like the one 16-year-old girl wants to get a butt lift. And, um, you know, the parent, they're fighting their parents of why they want to get these. The parents are going, no. And then we have an NIL case where the guy is 16, already offered $300,000, and his mom wants all the money. And he's fighting his mom going, no, I'm the athlete. So it's really, really great issues. Teen court. And I, I interview people in the jury, and then I, I talk to the defendant and plaintiffs. It's just, it's the most different court show you're going to ever, ever be in. I always say it's better to be sworn in than sworn at. Hey, <laughs> if you need a bull, like from night court, if you need a bull from, you know, I am 6'5", 240, and, and you know. Uh, believe me, now that you said, you will probably be in one of the episodes. I don't know exactly what, but yes, I think so. I can see, I can see you going, all rise, Cato has entered. <laughs> Yeah, and I would go like this. I'd be like, hey, he's, 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 he's got... All right, I got to ask you one last OJ thing. You ready? Yep. What did you hear that night? Uh, that night I heard a loud thumping noise, and uh, I, I didn't know what it was. I thought an earthquake because a picture in, my, in the back wall like this, there's no window. So you imagine the picture going like this and tilting. You can only think of how did that move? And I, you know, I've experienced earthquakes quite a few times and things do move. And that was, that's what I associated with. The last thing on my mind was that possibly OJ was in back where they found the infamous uh, bloody glove. Had to be on a serious note. It had to be really sad for you. Cause before I let you go, cause you, you mentioned this, you were friends with Nicole. You were great friends with Nicole, the children. And now, you know, you're friends with OJ. This, I don't think people really figure, you know, now that I'm thinking about this, this had to be incredibly difficult for you at, well, how old were you at that time? 33 and 34. First time ever in my life, Dan, I've ever been in a courtroom. I never had a parking ticket. I've never been in a courtroom my entire life. And uh, like I said, I was a guy from Wisconsin chasing my dreams of getting in show business. And, um, you know, that, that it, it was difficult because the first time in a courtroom, it's for a double homicide where uh, I'm testifying. And I, 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 people said that I had this look like of a deer in the headlights. And I'll tell you why. It's because I want to make sure I'm answering every damn question 
with complete honesty and making sure in my review with Marsha Clark, I'm thinking, I don't remember that question. So I can see, I don't know at the time, but I understand how people think, what's he saying? Why does he do this? It's because I'm really, really trying to answer this 100% correctly. And, um, you know, and the kids uh, back then, uh, Justin and Sydney were just really wonderful kids. And Nicole, like I said, is a great mom. And I, I'll tell you, the, the thing that I, they were just kids that would always want to wake up me, Cato, and then they got a dog and they named the dog Cato. And it was sort of endearing. And uh, yeah, you know, that, that was a difficult time, a difficult time. Yeah. Hey, did you see this whole Kardashian thing coming? Because people forget that the Kardashian's dad was one of the major right. figures in this trial. Did you, you know? Uh, well, the Kardashians would come over to the, when I used to live at Nicole's on Gretna Green, uh, you know, they'd always school in the morning and it was, uh, uh, it was all the Kardashian girls and, uh, uh, they, no, they're very young. I knew Kim when she was only this big and that was just her ass. No, <laughs> I'm kidding, Dan. Um, um, I, so they, they would actually try to all come into to my guest room and say, wake up Kato, let's wake up Kato. So I remember that sort of a memory in my life. Um, yeah. And they were, they were just, look at, they were just all great kids really were. And now look at them. They're, they're a billion dollar empire. Yeah. You can criticize people. It's so easy to criticize, right? I mean, it's so easy and you know that is, but look at what these people have done, man. I mean, it's right. You know what? I, I 100% agree with you. I've always said it's so much easier to criticize than to give the compliment and to be for someone. And I've been fortunate because this is just really serious. When, you know, it's very tough to succeed in Hollywood with anything you do. I am blessed that I've got friends. When you got a good friend, it's ones that really want you to succeed. There's no jealousy. And I, I've been really fortunate to have the best friendships. Everybody, you know, always all my friends, I want them to succeed. They want me to succeed. And I think it's, um, believe it or not, I think it's because of when you're raped. I was raised in a very loving family. And I think it's all the Midwest roots of, um, I, I just remember always great times with my family. And I think that you kind of project that and you, you, you sort of birds of a feather flock together. Well, I, I think I flock with good people to be besides the OJ, yeah. but you know, all the stuff, it's always the, the yeah. my friends, my school are still my best friends today. Are you wearing pants? Nope. Adam, can we see? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> hey, like I said, around, man, I love to. <laughs> this, hey, Dan, it's still dark in LA. This, the sun has not even come out yet. It's 6.30. Get up, people. Let's go. It's a work day in LA. Let's go. <laughs> hey, Hold I love on, talking Dan. to you, man. Thank, thank you so much. You know what? You need a theme song. Good morning, everybody. It's Kato Kalen on the Dan Dackett Show. <laughs> Wake up. Wake up. My, my mother used to sing, Wake up. Wake up. Wake up, my little buttercups. Wake up. Wake up. And I'm like, Mom, I'm 22. Stop it already. Will you please? You know, Jim, Jim Colbert inducted the Hall of Fame two years ago from the Chicago Bears. He is a, a, a friend of mine and a great guy when he got inducted. I got pictures of me wearing his Hall of Fame coat. He, uh, 
he used to say the best story that he remembers, and every time the game w- was played on the road, he would have Walter Payton come in the room to the uh, guys on the O-line and go, um, oh, wakey, 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 wakey. <laughs> Rise and shine, sunshine. <laughs> so I always think that. I always think of Jim Covert uh, from, the, from the Chicago Bears. Wakey, wakey. <laughs> you can see, you know, Payton saying that to those guys. Walter, the Sweetness. Yeah. Jimbo Colbert from Pittsburgh, about 6'5", 320 pounds going with weight. I love it. That's my favorite oh, yeah. all-time team. Yeah. Uh, heart of gold. All right, heart brother, thank you so much. Thank you okay. so much. Hey. It was really fun. Oh, are we, have we started? <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> One Degree of Scandalous on YouTube. One Degree of Scandalous, Cato Kalen, Tom Zetter, Team Court, Ice Wars. I'm out of here. See you, brother. One Degree of Scandalous is a blast. Uh, Ice Wars is incredible. Uh, I haven't seen the court, but I want to be bull. That's what my people call me. All right, we're going to get back to sports, but that is a – I can see – I've told people this because people – you talk to Cato Kalin, like people my age are fascinated, right? I'm like, yeah, he's one of the greatest dudes. I can see why people just want to hang – with Kato. All right, we got sports. We got Chad Withrow. We got a lot to get to. I think Chad will be wearing pants. Hey, and I got some things to say about college basketball right here. Don't leave us. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. All right, welcome back. Fun stuff with Kato Kalen. Let's go. More classified documents were found in our president's house. I mean to tell you, this is almost to the point where you got to joke about it. Well, Ari Fleischer, former press secretary, did joke about it. Let's hear or see from Ari Fleischer. Uh, Man, I'm a big fan of Ari Fleischer. When President Biden says he takes classified documents seriously, the only thing I got wrong was his punctuation. He meant to say, I take classified documents, period. Seriously. Boy, is he right. This has gotten to be... Such a joke. Nothing's going to happen, but it should. We should not have presidents, vice presidents, or senators taking un, or excuse me, classified documents. Now, in the case of Trump, obviously, we all know this, he could unclassify them. We've got years and years and years of documents, and of course, the clown that is our president said, I can't believe how irresponsible he was. Does it never end? Does the hypocrisy never end with our current president? Does it never, ever end, I ask you? And you would say, no, it doesn't ever end. But I do feel like this. I feel the walls are closing in. I feel like even the Democrats are like, look, the lies here, it's just too much. We cannot have this. We can't do this. We cannot continue this. We must get somebody, at least anybody that has a little bit of integrity And the current president has none. He will deny. In fact, just yesterday, he blamed the border crisis on Republicans. Well, just look at the numbers. Millions pouring in. Less than 2,000 pouring in when Trump was here. Now you got millions a day. I don't even want to talk about it. It is so ridiculous. I'll tell you what else I don't want to talk about. I've had enough of Lamar Jackson. I look at what's going on in the NFL, and I know this is going to be called some kind of is, but I honestly don't care. I honestly do not care. Deshaun Watson, $230 million guaranteed, not in the playoffs. Russell Wilson, $161 million, not in the playoffs. You see Deshaun Watson here. 
Kyler Murray, $160 million, not in the playoffs. This guy right here held his team hostage. He decided he was not going to play. Don't at me about it. Y'all know it's crap. The team knew it's crap. Everybody knows it's crap. And so to acquiesce to this guy, who I love, by the way, Deshaun Watson's coach, John Harbaugh, is saying, well, you know, we fired Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator, and, uh, well, I'm sorry, Lamar Jackson is going to have a say in who our new offensive coordinator is. So not only does this guy hold you hostage, but it works. It works. So they offered him a max guaranteed, which is what apparently Deshaun Watson wanted. He wanted guaranteed money. $133 million guaranteed. Not good enough. Not good enough for a guy who has not played in the second half of the season, has only played 12 games in the second half of the season over the last two years. Not good enough. Not good enough. Not enough. Dude doesn't play in the second half. Yeah, he's a nice player in the first half, but he doesn't play. So, look, I get it. I get it. The media can't criticize this. The white media certainly can't. And of course, you got guys, our guys, Shannon Sharp. Don't even get let me get into Shannon Sharp. But Shannon Sharp says he wouldn't play. He said it was Skip. I'm watching him right now. Uh, last week, yeah, I'm not playing unless I get my money. Boy, that's a heck of an attitude here. I mean, you're only being paid millions of dollars before this contract. Millions to do what? Play football. We're not asking you to split an atom. We're asking you to play football. And you're paying millions to do it. But you go out, you fake getting hurt, you get your offensive coordinator fired, and now, instead of the team saying, hey, look, screw you, we're going to get rid of you, they offer you the max deal, and that ain't good enough. And then on top of it, they kiss your backside and say, well, we want you to have input on who the offensive coordinator is. The reason the offensive coordinator is fired is because of you. Same thing in Arizona. Well, we want Kyler Murray to have input on the offensive coordinator. No, you don't. You're just acquiescing because you gave an idiot a lot of money, a guy that doesn't work hard, a guy that's lazy, a guy that when he's off uh, site won't work and now is hurt, but yet you got to kiss their backside. There will be a time. There will be a time when teams go and take their teams back. Guys like Ryan Grigson will be rehired because they're going to learn that you don't acquiesce. You stay strong. Uh, Cincinnati did not acquiesce to anything. They didn't listen. They went out. They didn't sign offensive linemen. They got a quarterback that's for the team. They went and got offensive linemen that are tough dudes. Teddy Karras Jr. Jr. They didn't overpay. They didn't kiss the backside of a generational left guard like my Colts did. They went and got workmanlike players and now look at them two years in a row. Kansas City said to Tyreek Hill, uh, what? You're a pain? What? You want what? Get out of here. So Tyreek Hill did what Tyreek Hills in the world do, which is yap, 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 all the way to, uh, well, not even contributing in a playoff loss. It's simple, people. Take back your team. Get the Brock Purdy's of the world. Get the Joe Burrows of the world. Get the Patrick Mahomes of the world that are sitting there saying, I got to play. I got to play. Don't get the freaking Tyreek Hills of the world, that when they leave somewhere, rips the place that they just were. Take your team back. And this is why you won't see anything out of the Baltimore Ravens. You won't see anything out of the Arizona Cardinals because when it is a player, not a player-run team in the locker room, but a player-acquiesce team, you won't see jack squat. 
And it pains me because I really like John Harbaugh, I really like the Ravens, and I really like Lamar Jackson. But you won't see Jack squat out of them because you can't give in to soft-ass players when they make ridiculous demands. You just can't do it. I'm sorry, you cannot do it. And if you do it, nothing good is going to happen. Hey, I get it. Uh, word to the media, you can't say it, can you? You just can't. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit off script here, Dylan and Ryan. I had a nice text exchange with Tony Dungy over the weekend. So glad to see that Tony Dungy is being def- uh, off- uh, defended by real people. The Indianapolis Stars little writer, Greg Doyle, called, can you believe this, in 2022, Tony Dungy ignorant. Now, Tony Dungy, it, 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 let's put it this way. You're always criticized by those that don't do as much as you. Tony Dungy in other publications was called the bigot. Tony Dungy was called a far-right radical. See, the media lies in wait. These horrible, horrible people, they lie in wait. Tony Dungy has adopted kids. Tony Dungy has done more for people than a guy, Greg Doyle, or anybody that is writing about him or saying things about him will ever do. Now... The Indianapolis Star uh, hid Doyle's column. I went to the website. They didn't have it. But Doyle's very proud to call Tony Dungy ignorant. People are very proud to call Tony Dungy a bigot. Very proud. They don't look at how he's lived his life. They look at one tweet. One tweet. And isn't that sad? Because Tony Dungy, you compare Tony Dungy's life to anybody that's written about him, don't even get me started. Hell, one guy had to admit to adultery in an article about me, and Tony Dungy is out here speaking at pro-life. I mean, just stop it. The people calling him a bigot, the people calling him names are just sad people. Uh, I sent Tony Dungy a text. I said, hey, Tony, coach, I said, so glad to see so many people love you. So glad to see so many people stand up for you. And I am. And if that makes me a bad guy, I'll side with being on Tony Dungy's side 1,000% over any little writer, any little blogger, any little guy on any little media publication. Who cares about Dave Zirin? I'm done with Tony Dungy. Good. Be done with Tony Dungy. Be done. Greg Doyle, be done with him. Call him names. See, what happens, at least in our newspaper, is when they do that, this summer they did a hit piece on me. What was the next article? A puff piece on Indiana basketball. They do a hit piece on Tony Dungy. What was the next article? Oh, my God, I went, I, I, I went to, to, to uh, a basketball game, and they had all these wonderful things. I mean, that's what they do. That's what they do. Get rid of your subscription to all these racks. People lying in wait. And it's not just the Indy Star. It's every publication. If Tony Dungy were, I don't know, I don't hear anybody criticizing Shannon Sharp in my media. I don't hear anybody criticizing Joe Biden. It seems to me that a bigger story would be Joe Biden having documents. There's nothing in the Indy Star about that. Not a thing. It seems to me there are a lot bigger stories than whether Tony Dungy set a tweet out. A lot bigger. But you don't read about him. Why? Tony Dungy doesn't give in. Tony Dungy is a conservative. Tony Dungy thus making him an easy target. And that's all this is. People want to sit back. People People want to sit back. Wait. Doesn't matter that Tony Dungy has spoken out about the need for fathers. In some groups, that's a bad thing. Can you believe that? You know, our left wants to kill kids. Our president 
in defending killing kids, in defending abortion, talked about future generations. Our former president, President Obama, I said, well, wait a second. Uh, You're talking about killing children, unborn children, fetuses, yet future generations, how does that play in? But Obama, as we know, just talks. So I don't have any problem. We all know the deal. We all know what happens here. We all know that the media sits there and they wait. They're pathetic. They're abs- they'll look back 20 years, and when it's their own peccadillos, they'll lie like crazy. They won't talk about certain things. They'll blow it off. Well, I had an affair years ago. No, really? I won't get personal with them, but I know what they're doing. I see what they're doing, and it's disgusting. Tony Dungy's not a good guy. Tony Dungy's a great guy. And I've had so many people reach out to me and say, man, Tony Dungy's words saved my family. LGTQA uh, friends of mine, I don't have many, but I got enough. They're like, this is so unfair to Coach Dungy. Nobody's reading a 70-year-old's tweet and killing themselves as portrayed. No one's doing that. Just stop. We have real issues with suicide. We have real ones. Now, one of the real issues, and I don't give a damn whether you believe this or not, is the fact that we don't hold people accountable. We don't hold children. Oh, buddy, it's okay if you... No. There's a lot of issues. I mean a lot. That'll get spun in the wrong way, too. I don't care. We got so many issues. I've dealt with suicide. I've dealt with it as pretty close. Not as close as possible, but pretty daggone close. There's a hell of a lot more reasons people are committing suicide than just a 70-year-old's tweet. But I get it. When you're trying to hurt somebody, it's happened to me, you just bring everything out as best you can and spin it in such a way that you see the wind blow. Well, the wind blew the other way. And the wind blew to defend Tony Dungy, and I hope it never stops. you got to stand up to these people. It's dangerous because they got something on you. You know they do. But who gives a rat's? Bad people doing bad things. A great guy like Dungy doing great things. They all can kiss my backside, these medias that are going after Tony Dungy. All right. That just needed to be said. Chad Withrow is going to join us coming up here. We'll get back to the football of the weekend. I got to ask the question. There is no better. There is no better story in sports than this guy. I'm going to tell you who this guy is when we come back, and I'm going to get Chad's opinion on the best story in sports. It's the best story in sports, and it's not being played like it's the best story in sports. Our friend from Outkick 360, Chad Withrow, and I will discuss when we come back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it wouldn't be a Monday if we didn't hear from greatness, and we're hearing from it right now. The great Chad Withrow of Outkick 360, nice enough to join us. All right, I'm saying this. I think it's the best story in sports, what's going on with Brock Purdy. I watched third downs, man. He's putting the ball right there. I don't know. It's easy to disparage, but I think it's the best story in sports, where he was to where he is. What say you? It's incredible. It's definitely one of the best stories in sports. I, I look at this weekend. I know we're going to talk about Joe Burrow also, but man, oh man, you want to talk about a story that, that this is the opposite end of the spectrum. Number one overall pick, but in year three, looks like he may be the best quarterback in the NFL, and if not the best, certainly the most clutch quarterback in the NFL. And then Brock Purdy, I mean, this is no fluke at this point, Dan. You, you watch him, and I've been saying this for weeks now, if you count the 56 minutes he played against Miami when he came in for the injured Garoppolo, this is now eight straight wins. They, they're counting seven with him as the starter, but eight straight wins. 
And he is a guy who looks like he's playing with house money and yet somehow does that without making a big mistake, you know, not turning the ball over, but yet has this spark about him and just an innate playmaking ability that some of the best quarterbacks ever have possessed. I love the story. I love that he's the last pick in the draft. I love that he comes from a place like Iowa State that, um, you know, you, you look through it. He experienced a little bit of everything in his time there. You know, he's not someone from Alabama or Georgia that only really experienced winning. He was on a, a really bad team. He saw that team get a lot better under Matt Campbell. He had a disappointing season where they were expected to be more, and they had some disappointing losses. I, I think that full body of work and that just span of disappointment mixed with celebration has really helped develop him into what he is now. And what he is, a guy who's 8 no as a quarterback in the NFL and getting ready to play in an NFC championship game. You know, we've talked a lot, you and I and Jonathan, you know, early in the year, what a great job Vrabel uh, was doing, day bold. But, man, oh, man, uh, I don't know about you, but the coach of the last three years is Kyle Shanahan. It, hey, give me Garoppolo, give me Purdy. Uh, they just keep going and going and going, this crew does with Shanahan. If you want to get a job as a head coach in the NFL or a general manager, you better be sprinting to either Kyle Shanahan staff or Sean McVay staff. You are touched by God, essentially, if you are touched by one of those guys and they give you the power and bless you and say that you can work on this staff. Rand Carthon now with the Titans as general manager worked in the front office with the 49ers. And when that hire is made and now getting to know Rand Carthon a little bit more and hearing from him, I really like the guy and like the hire. But when you just tell me, oh, he studied under Shanahan and Lynch and that 49ers organization, Dan, that's good enough for me right now. Once I hear that, that's a huge resume boost. If you've got someone who's worked with that organization, it's a model organization right now, the 49ers. Shanahan is the model. Sean McVay is the model for young, successful head coach in the NFL. And what I love about the 49ers is – these two championship games we're getting ready to have. In one, you've got Burrow versus Mahomes. In the other one, you've got Brock Purdy versus Jalen Hurts. And it's the 49ers that seemingly, they are star quarterback proof. They don't need a dominant quarterback to make it to conference championship games, to compete for Super Bowls. Jimmy Garoppolo played in a Super Bowl. I'm here to tell you, Jimmy Garoppolo is not that talented or that good. That's how good of a coach Kyle Shanahan is. Brock Purdy looks a lot better than Jimmy Garoppolo to me, but he's still the last pick in the draft as a seventh rounder. So the ability to run the ball, to adapt a plan around personnel, has been incredible with the 49ers, and couple that with what is the best defense in the NFL right now uh, that they've developed on that side. It, It really is an incredible story, and I'm with you. If I had to take one coach right now, I'm probably rolling with Kyle Shanahan as my guy for any organization. He's been terrific. I am too. I, look, I, again, I don't think he was even mentioned last week, and maybe rightfully so. Sirianni's done a great job. Okay. Uh, you, you mentioned it. Uh, I don't think anybody has done, has done a better job. Daybolt got all the love. Let me go the other way because you know it's coming. You know it's going to be, I don't know, from now until, I guess, the start of next year. Dak Prescott, Mike McCarthy, one needs to be fired. The other isn't good enough. I don't know. Uh, where are we at with the Cowboys moving forward? 
Well, Dak Prescott's not good enough right now. Uh, I mean, I, I, let's just let's just say what it is. In, in the biggest moments, yeah, he can't get out of the divisional round of the playoffs. If, if we're going to crush, I'm here in Nashville, and people want to crush Ryan Tannehill as a guy that that can't win big. Well, Ryan Tannehill's been a starter in a conference championship game. That's something that Dak Prescott hasn't done, and Dak Prescott has more resources, and he's got that Cowboys star on his helmet. That's a little bit different from the Titans organization. Uh, I think he is so far shown himself to be a good dude that can put up great stats at time that can lead a very high powered offense with a high powered running game that when it comes down to it, he's not going to be Joe Burrow. He's not going to step up in the biggest moments. It was great. What he did against Tom Brady in Tampa Bay had a terrific game in the wild card round on the road, won the first road playoff game for the Cowboys since 1992, but then a big moment against seventh round pick, and Mr. Irrelevant, Brock Purdy, with plenty of chances to take the lead or win the game, he's just not good enough. Those two interceptions were terrible. Should have had a third one that would have been a pick six late, and they don't even have the ball for that just horrific play, whatever that was. They were trying to design in the dirt where Zeke Elliott snapped the ball to him in the end. But I I just I look around, Dan, I think he's talented. He's going to put up big numbers. But until proven otherwise, he's not a guy that's going to deliver in the biggest moments. And Mike McCarthy, I think, probably did enough to keep his job. Um, but, I mean, that's another one you just got question marks about. But I'm not putting this one on him as much as I am Dak Prescott. And, hey, full credit to Dak Prescott. He stood up, stood up there after the game and said, this is on me. My defense and my team gave me a chance to do something, and I couldn't do it. And he said, I'll spend every day for the next year thinking about the fact that I didn't deliver for them uh, he really fell on the sword, which I think is admirable. But until he can get past this point and at least get to a conference championship game, Dak Prescott is the problem. You know, it, it, isn't it amazing just talking about this this whole deal? It's not like people want to immediately, and the easy thing to do is say, well, Jerry Jones shouldn't be the GM. It ain't a roster problem, right? Mm-hmm. It, and the roster's damn good, man. Yeah, I can't look at anything they did. I mean, the T.Y. Hilton thing was fine. Late in the season, I mean, like, what would the knock be on him that he goes for big-name guys at times? But that defense is really good. That defense gave them a chance. That defense isn't going anywhere. They got great young talent led by Micah Parsons. Um, yeah, I mean, I look, I, I if, if you haven't won a title in a place like Dallas for as long as they've, they've gone, and they had that that dynasty back in the 90s, and it's been since then, you can point the finger at a lot of different places, but I'm with you on this. Maybe, you know, 10, 15 years ago, Jerry was the problem. The way the roster is currently constructed with Jerry Jones as general manager, that's not the problem. Now, I will say, maybe in the end, overconfidence in Dak Prescott will cost Jerry Jones, and that's his fault. I know he said, you know, after the game, hey, I've got the utmost confidence in Dak Prescott. And what's he supposed to say if they plan on keeping him around? I get all that, but. Maybe that's going to be part of the issue with Jerry Jones, but I'm with you, Dan. I, I look at that roster and think they're every bit good enough. C.D. Lamb with a breakout year is another great example of a guy who's going to be a star in the league. Uh, Dalton Schultz was terrific. That roster's good. That roster's good enough to win a Super Bowl. They need a quarterback that is going to deliver in the biggest moments, and there's no better options for them right now than Dak Prescott. I'm right. not saying they should get rid of him. But Dak Prescott's just going to have to deliver big in the biggest moment, like we've seen Joe Burrow do time and time again. 
Yeah, you know, Chad, I've always said, yeah, you want to get rid of Dak Prescott, I get it, but you got to have somebody come in there, and unless you get lightning in a bottle with a Romo like they got later in the draft, or, uh, you know, you get lucky with Brock Purdy or something like that, I don't know. I don't know that there is anywhere else to go. I got to tell you this, though. A uh, friend of mine's son is the starting center, Teddy Karras Jr. Jr., we call him, for the Cincinnati Bengals. And he's won Super Bowls with New England. His dad, Teddy Karras, my friend, uh, won Super Bowl with Washington. Teddy's dad, Teddy Jr. Jr.'s grandfather, the great Ted, uh, the great, <laughs> he won a Super Bowl, Ted Karras. Uh, so three generations all have won Super Bowls, and I'm not so sure that the Cincinnati Bengals aren't going back because that offensive line, led by my boy Teddy Karras Jr., Jr., sensational. It's, it's amazing. And Ted Karras' comments, I, I was reading, I think it was uh, Peter King's column, awesome. where he talked to Ted Karras, and, I mean, he talked about Joe Burrow, Dan, the way you would talk about Tom Brady, and that says a lot from a guy who played with, with Tom Brady. And Ted Karras, just his overall demeanor and how he is unfazed and his swagger and how that's infectious and the fact that he repeatedly puts the ball on a dime, on the money, where the play, his receivers have no, no choice but to catch the ball. It, it really is incredible. Um, I, I'll tell you what I did last night when they were in the second half looking like they were going to roll to a win. Um, I went ahead and put a, a, a big bet on the Bengals to win the Super Bowl. I, I think this is the year. I mean, uh, they are on a roll right now. They're really on a roll when you go back to after that 0-2 start. With the way they revamped the offensive line this year, they've been on a roll. But then the way they went to Buffalo with a banged-up offensive line with three new guys, three guys out, and they were able to devise a plan because of Joe Burrow where he's getting rid of the football in under two seconds at times. And then they can run the ball that way against the Bills. Now, a big part of this were the Bills were very disappointing in this game, especially with their rush defense. But I look at the Bengals and think year three for Burrow, in year two, if he was able to, and by the way, they've beaten the Chiefs now three straight times, going back to last year where they beat him in KC in, the, in Arrowhead uh, in the, in the uh, uh, AFC Championship. This is now the team to beat. I don't think I'm overstating that, especially with Mahomes banged up. I really like the Cincinnati to go ahead and, and finish this thing off and go ahead and win a Super Bowl this year after getting there a year ago. And Burrow looks like a man on a mission. It's it's impressive watching him. And just the juxtaposition of Burrow and Dak Prescott, I think that was my big takeaway from watching football yesterday. Watching those games back-to-back, there's a huge difference between those two. We can talk about Josh Allen, too. That's another disappointing end to a season. If you look at the Bills a year ago, there's all this hope based on that game and just not getting the ball, you know, in the overtime. You could pin it on that and say, hey, great season, great game, not mad, not upset. This team's going to win a Super Bowl next year. But to lose by 17 at home in the snow where you're supposed to have an advantage and for Josh Allen to look the way he did and what Cincinnati's defense did to him, not great for Josh Allen and the Bills either. Burrow's the big winner. Uh, quarterback-wise, Bur- probably Burrow and Hurts in terms of quarterbacks this weekend. And I also agree with you, Purdy's probably the best story. But give me Joey B. Give me Joe Burrow in a playoff game. Yeah, I like your bet. In fact, I just made this, I just made a little bet on that myself just now. I'm multitasking because what will happen with me, Chad, is I'll forget later on in the day, right? I'll be like, oh, it'll be Sunday, and I'll be like, 
I forgot, so I got to do everything right away. But I want to go to Josh Allen. You know, <clears throat> I'm watching, I'm turning on SportsCenter this morning, and I, I hesitate to do it. And the first thing they're doing is doing a story on all of the side things, all of the drama with the Bills, basically making excuses for the Bills. The one thing that I have said about NFL football, and I will never stop saying this, it's the one sport that's short enough where I don't want to hear anything. Everybody's bang, everybody's tired. Everybody has situation. I don't want to hear any excuses. You win or you lose in the NFL. That's how I look at the NFL. Yeah, and I also think, look, you only get – the NFL's so different <clears throat> in the way I view it because basketball, for example, you play so many games, you can't expect someone to be completely locked in and ready to go every game. You're just going to have bad games. And you can chalk it up just saying, hey, that's, that's a bad game. When you get in the NFL, only 17 guaranteed opportunities in a 365-day year, you better show up and you better deliver. Right. And if you don't, then that is a disaster. There's only, I mean, there's no excuse not to be, when your entire year is geared up to physically and mentally get ready for 17 games and then playoffs, if you're lucky enough and you play well enough to get a playoff opportunity, that's even more precious and rare. You've got to be ready to go, and there, there are no excuses. I'll say this about all the stuff going on in Buffalo. It's being used as an excuse now. If Buffalo went on to go to the Super Bowl, we're going to go to the Super Bowl with our show. What would everybody have been talking about? Boy, this oh. has really propelled this Bills team. You know, the tragedy with DeMar Hamlin has really fired this group up. The snowstorms in Buffalo has really united this team around this community. And because of that, here they are in the Super Bowl, and it's really helped propel them. You can't work it both ways. I get that that's a big distraction with DeMar Hamlin, but we know that would have been the narrative had they won this game about how they've really united as a locker room and it's actually strengthened their bond and strengthened their preparation as a team, and they've locked in, and they're they're only focused on winning for the city of Buffalo and for Western New Yorkers everywhere and the star franchise. And now that they lose, it's, well, they had a lot going on. I, I don't I don't necessarily yeah. buy that either. They did have a lot going on. I'm not trying to discount what happened with Hamlin or, or any of that, but that's not that's not the reason. And I'll also say this. They have not played well the last three games. I think going back to the start of the Cincinnati game before the Hamlin incident happened, they didn't play that well against the Patriots. They got bailed out by Naheem Hines with two kickoff returns for touchdowns. I thought they were terrible against Miami and Skylar Thompson where the Dolphins had a chance at one of the biggest upsets in playoff history at home. And then they come out and lay an egg against Cincinnati yesterday. That, that game was not close. It was 14-7 to at one point. It's the closest it was going to get. Uh, that was a dominant performance by Cincinnati in the snow in Orchard Park. Very impressed with Cincinnati, but I'm equally disappointed in the Bills and their performance. I agree. Hey, best team? I don't know. You got to look at the Eagles, do you not? Nick Sirianni's crew just beat the dog out of the yeah. Giants. Now, maybe the Giants aren't any good, but Daniel Jones, there's a decision there, big boy, with the Giants. I think that we have uh, a heavyweight match coming up between 49ers and Eagles. From a physicality standpoint, from the way they play, that great Eagles offensive line against a great 49ers defense. Jalen Hurts is going to run the ball. Brock Purdy is going to make plays out of nowhere. 
George Kittle, Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith on the other side. I think this is going to be a great game. That, that was also terribly disappointing. I actually, on OutKick 360, picked the Giants in a money line upset and felt really dumb at 14 to nothing of that game because it was clear early on the Eagles were going to outclass the Giants in every way. And they certainly did that. And we asked the question all last week, Dan, of can you trust Daniel Jones to do this again? As well as he played Minnesota, are you buying that this is going to be a trend now and he's going to continue this? And instead what happened, happened was Daniel Jones showed why he didn't get that option for the fifth year, showed why that it was a prove-it year for him with the Giants. There's been some good and some bad with him throughout his career. I thought there was a lot more good from Daniel Jones this year than bad. So I don't want to crush the guy for for this performance and his team losing the way they did 38 to 7. And I do think that he's going to be the guy moving forward for the Giants, but this is why I feel like an idiot when I pick the Giants to win because I just saw Daniel Jones play that way and how dare I think that he could follow that up and play that way for a second straight week against the Eagles. That's the way I felt watching that game uh, on Saturday night. Eagles were dominant. Their roster construction is elite across the board. Um, that's going to be a great game. Uh, whoever comes out of that game is going to be battle-tested this coming week in that NFC Championship. I, I love, love, love that matchup between the 49ers and the Eagles. Um, I can't let you go without getting your opinion, I, and I'll give you mine. I, I think moving AFC and NFC championship games to a neutral site sucks. I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear about it. Uh, it is a corporate deal. The NCAA tournament, while it shows up well on tournament, when you go is about as stale an environment as you're ever going to find. I don't want to see it. I don't know. What do you think? Oh, I'm with you. I, I hate it. I mean, some of the best memories of watching – on Championship Sunday feature raucous environments and raucous crowds and cold weather in these stadiums. I mean, let's take this weekend for, for an example. We've got two great outdoor cold weather environments at the Lincoln Philly hosting a game at Arrowhead in Kansas City. Now, let's say a year or two from now, that NFC Championship game is going to be played in, I don't know, Arizona, where the Super Bowl is going to be played this year. And the AFC Championship game is going to be played in Atlanta. It just takes so much away from it. I mean, you you were right about corporate, stale, homogenized environments. And that's what it's going to be. The Super Bowl is that. You know, the Super Bowl, the environment at the game is very corporate. It's a lot of people that are being owed favors from different corporate sponsors or people with the NFL. It's not the diehard fans. And that's who loses out. When I watch Championship Weekend... I'm watching for an environment standpoint because of the diehard fan, the season ticket holder, the ones that have been there throughout. They provide the great environment for these games. You take so much away from that if you go to a neutral site. And, and you're doing it all in the interest of money. I mean, there's no mistaking it. They're, they're going to be – the NFL sees this as an opportunity to bid this thing out. So they're going to get money yeah. and ticket revenue because now they're going to be able to split it up better and – they're going to get a bunch of money from these host cities that are going to want to host AFC, NFC championship games. That's another big event to add to the docket of big events of revenue drivers for these cities. That's the sole reason to do it. But the sole reason to do it, Dan, takes the soul, S-O-U-L, out of the game and out of football. It also eliminates what is a big part of the advantage of being the number one seed. 
You fight all year to get that number one seed. You're getting the buy, which is huge right now, but you're also getting the opportunity to know that you're not going to leave your own bed at night. You're not going to leave your home stadium until the Super Bowl if you continue to win. That's a big advantage that you take away if you move it to a neutral site. I- I'm completely against it. I, I-, I said this, um, and I don't know, you know, I don't know whether I'm right or not, but you know, if you're a football team, the Colts, for example, are an indoor team, but they're built like an outdoor team. They're not built with speed. They're not built fast. They're not. So I build my team to be, I don't know, the Eagles. Running game, unbelievable. Get, now all of a sudden you're playing in an indoor thing for the biggest games, and it's not how your team is built. It's just, you know, you build your team in every way possible that you can, and one of those ways is based on how and where you play, my opinion. Absolutely. Uh, I heard Rand Carthon, the Titans' new general manager, talking about this, and he was asked a question, I think, about can you win when a running back is the leader of your offense and not a quarterback? And he said, I, I think you can, based on the roster around that player. And he brought up the fact, Dan, that even though he comes from San Francisco, which isn't known for terrible weather in the wintertime, he said, it's great when you're playing video game football indoor stadiums are in perfect weather during the year, but when you get to January, you have to have the ability to run the football. And he knows that Mike Vrabel shares that sentiment with him because odds are, even if you're an indoor team, if you don't have home field, you're going to go somewhere and have to play in some bad conditions, the way we saw in Buffalo uh, yesterday with with the the Bengals and the Bills. So, yeah, I think that's a a big part of it, and uh, it does eliminate a huge advantage. The thing we heard about Josh Allen and any quarterback in Buffalo is that the Buffalo Bills must have a strong-arm quarterback because the wind is a factor in Buffalo. Well, we're not going to see Buffalo play anymore moving forward at home, but if you're drafting guys based on the weather that they're going to face in January when the games are most important and you're trying to win and survive and go win a Super Bowl, then if you eliminate that with every championship game being indoors – that changes maybe the way you build rosters if you're a contender moving forward. So I think it just eliminates a lot of fun, quite frankly, in the interest of grabbing a quick buck. And I think that'd be a bad decision by the NFL. What do you got today? What's going on? We're going to recap uh, this this divisional weekend uh, for the majority of today's show. It's going it's to be a lot of fun. Um, you know, there's some big storylines coming out of this. I love what you're talking about with Brock Purdy. We're going to have a big discussion, too, on Joe Burrow and whether or not we're overreacting right now to what is year three for Burrow. But I believe this guy, not just one of the best in the NFL, I think he's making a case to be the guy right now. Uh, Take him over Mahomes. Take him over Josh Allen. Take him over a lot of guys. That's going to sound crazy to some, but we're going to break it down and discuss on today's Outkick 360. Appreciate you, my man. Thank you. Dan, always fun. Thanks for having me on, bud. That's the great Chad Withrow, ladies and gentlemen. Follow them. Go to Outkick 360 coming up 3 o'clock EST, baby. That's Eastern time. When we come back, UIU basketball fans, go tell your friends that I am going to praise you. I am going to praise you. I'm going to praise the Boilermakers as well. Look, let's be honest. College basketball is up. It's down. It's in, it's out, but guess what? Uh, Indiana is playing better than anybody. Purdue is the number one team in the country. I have got 
some stock ups and stock downs. And I think you're going to agree with all of them, particularly the stock downs. A couple of them are political, but I got to tell you, I've just had enough and I'll tell you what else. I've had enough of pain in the ass, little BS wide receivers, whining, sulking, moaning, complaining. I've had enough. And I know you have to look, if you're an adult male or an adult female and you have some sack, you're tired of wide receivers after losses, blaming everybody else, storming out, complaining, going at the quarterback. It's exhausting. They suck. They do. And I've had enough. Why little wide receiver guy? It's almost like, all right, there's a class. And in that class, we're going to teach you little D-bags, you little wide receivers, how to be D-bags. And after this class, guess what? Then you're going to go onto the court, onto the field, and you're going to be good until it goes bad. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about why ABC News can kiss my backside. That's right. ABC News, a legacy media, America broadcast company, can give a big smooch on my left or right cheek wherever they decide. And, of course, our president is lying again. But IU basketball fan, Purdue basketball fan, keep it right here. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back. ABC News, grow a pair. I'll get into that. Tony Dungy gives a great speech. Stock up and stock down right now. All right, here's the deal. Indiana basketball fans, look, I don't give a daggone how mad, glad, angry, or sad you are at me. The coaching staff early in the year stunk. Mike Woodson was lazy. He wasn't working hard at it. They had no offense. The players had had enough. But here... Kudos to Indiana for turning it around. Kudos to Mike Woodson. Kudos to his staff for getting a team that seemingly was down and out, looked like a mess. They had one player, Ray Thompson, crying, literally crying on the court because he got his knee hit. They had another player, their star center, Trace Jackson Davis. These are mean people. They're writing us letters. And they had a coaching staff that looked like it was asleep half the time. Well, they've turned it around. They have won by double digits this week on the road at Illinois. Really good team. And then they beat Tom Izzo's team after a slow start. They went ahead and beat Izzo's team by double digits as well. There is nobody currently playing basketball in this country that is playing it better at the collegiate level than Indiana University. And there's only one guy in this country, uh, Zach Eady from Purdue, that is playing as well as the star center, aforementioned star center, Trace Jackson Davis of Indiana. So congratulations. Stock up. To I use Mike Woodson and his staff. Am I going to say I was wrong? Of course not. I wasn't wrong. Woody's daughter can get mad at me. The little guy with the Indy Star can get mad at me. But I wasn't wrong when I called uh, the entire operation a clown show. I wasn't wrong when I called out the coaches. They weren't doing their job. So basically what I'm saying to you, Indiana fans, is you are welcome. You are welcome for me once again, as I've always been, the conscious of Indiana basketball. And those of you that have a problem with me, I think I'll be at the Indiana game this Saturday sitting behind the Ohio State bench. I think I haven't made arrangements yet, but I am very much looking forward to it. I usually go to one game a year, so if you got a problem with me, go blank yourself. I don't want to hear it. 
Uh, also, by the way, while I'm on this, uh, Purdue basketball should be the new number one in the country. Purdue basketball has played as well as anybody. I don't think they can beat Indiana right now. They don't have to beat Indiana right now. The game is February 4th in Bloomington at 5 o'clock. It should be a good one if both teams continue to play the way that they have played. Matt Painter and his crew, in my opinion are the best coached team in the country. The worst coached team in the country is Duke. Duke beat Jim Laranaga's Miami team simply because, well, I don't really know. I thought my, I, I, I was going to ask on Twitter, is Duke's coach John Shire a volunteer or does he get paid? Horrendous. I tell you, who does get paid is Jamie Dixon. This is what Kansas does. Kansas, one game a year at home, gets blown out, and then they win a national championship. At least it's what they did last year. College Hoops is heating up, and you know this will be the place for it. All right, Tony Dungy, under attack from little weirdo guy uh, at the Indy Star calling him ignorant. Little weirdos all around the country, which is all left-wing crazy media men and women, who called him a bigot, who called him a far-right extremist. I'll put Tony Dungy's body of work against anybody's. Tony Dungy gave a speech at a rally that, frankly, was pro-life. And people are mad. People are mad not only did Tony Dungy speak at this. Real people aren't mad. People like you and me aren't mad. But little media cretins are mad. Little media whiny. uh, I'm a big strong guy, media guy. They're all whining. They're all complaining because Tony Dungy invoked the name of Damar Hamlin. It was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. It's what I have been saying. Look at prayer. Look at the power of prayer in the DeMar Hamlin case. Of course, DeMar, uh, Tony Dungy's distractors, I can't believe he invoked it. The incredibly liberal yet ridiculous uh, website, awful announcing, oh my God. Tony Dungy invoking DeMar Hamlin, I guess, is a thing. Dipsticks. Let's hear from Tony Dungy. It's amazing to me that God actually used football to shine some light on the subject of life for all of us. Three weeks ago, during a game in Cincinnati, something happened that impacted our entire country. A young man named DeMar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills made a routine tackle and his heart stopped beating right on the field. It could have been tragic, but something miraculous happened. The team medical staff rushed out. They got DeMar's heart started again. But you know what? That wasn't the miracle. The real miracle was the reaction of everyone to that. The announcers on the broadcast, what did they say? All we can do is pray. And all across the country, people started praying. Laura and I, we were having dinner with friends of ours, and we stopped what we were doing, and we prayed right there. The Bills players played right, prayed right on the spot. Now, usually when that happens, the cameras cut away from that because we don't like to see that. Back when I was coaching in the 1990s, a few Christian players got together and they said, we want to pray after the games. And we actually got a memo from the NFL office that said, don't let your players do that. If you do, you'll be fined because that's not appropriate. Can you believe that? That, that's a true story. But last week, or three weeks ago, everybody on that field was praying. 
and it continued. The next week, at every stadium in the NFL, teams got together and prayed, and it was amazing. Well, those prayers were answered. DeMar's recovering now. He's home. He's been released from the hospital. But what's the lesson in that? You know, an unbelievable thing happened that night, a professional football game with millions of dollars of ticket money and advertising money on the line. That game was canceled. Why? Because a life was at stake. And people wanted to see that life saved. Even people who aren't necessarily religious got together and called on God. Well, that should be encouraging to us because that's exactly why we're here today. Because every day in this country, innocent lives are at stake. And the only difference is they don't belong to a famous athlete and they're not seen on national TV. But those lives are still important to God and in God's eyes. Psalm 139 tells us that God is watching every one of these young bodies as they're growing in their mother's womb because he placed them there. Now we know that there are a lot of people in this country that don't believe that. They don't see these babies as being important. They don't even see them as lies. So what can we do about that? Well, I think we have to take a lesson from DeMar's story. We have to pray. We need to pray with the same fervor that we prayed with during that week because God answers prayer and he will answer these prayers to save these precious unborn lives as we go forward. So if we do our part, we'll save more and more of these lives. But that can't be the end of the story. When God does give us more of these lives, what are we going to do to nurture these children and help them grow? Please welcome my, my wife Lauren as she gives you some answers to that question. That's awesome. Now, he got criticized for that speech, not because of the words, but because it was easy for liberal media to just say, can you believe he invoked Damar Hamlin? <laughs> yeah, I can. And it made perfect sense. I don't understand. I'll never understand why we celebrate murdering babies. I'll never understand it. You can't. That's your deal. I don't, I don't get mad at anybody. I'm not the indie star. I'm not going to go personal and call that man right there ignorant. Tony Dungy's a lot of things, but ignorant ain't one. And if you don't like him because he sent a tweet, that's a you problem. But I stand with Team Dungy. I stand with Team Dungy and the work that he has done as a human being, the work that he has done to promote fathers, the work that he has done to just be a shining light and an example. I don't stand with Little Ryder from Indy Star or Deadspin or Washington Post or Dave Zirin or any of these guys that call him names. I don't stand with you. You've shown who you truly are. You got your audience. You got your clicks. People said, yay, Rob. You're right. But I got to tell you, good for you. Hope it's worth it. All right. John Rahm, ladies and gentlemen. Those of you that follow golf know the name John Rahm. All John Rahm has done on the PGA Tour. Stock up. John Rahm has won the first two tournaments that he has played in all year. He's won the last two. John Rahm, like in his last five tournaments, has won four of them. Now, golf is the perfect, perfect, perfect Sunday afternoon I'm going to fall asleep show. It's awesome. But I like golf. I like playing golf. In fact, now that I don't have an afternoon show, I can't wait to play golf every day. And I'll bet anybody anything, anytime on golf. I will. 
because it's the only place that I personally get to compete. I grew up all day, all life, all year, all month, all series, whatever, competing. I did. You don't get to compete when you're 60 in months. That's why I'll bet anybody, anything, as long as it's fair, on the golf course. I know we don't know this, and maybe I'm not complaining, but DeMar Hamlin, uh, certainly a great story. But did you know that a man, a former Chiefs running back named Peyton Hillis, a former great Chiefs running back, saved his family from drowning and ended up in ICU? Does anybody know this? Does anybody even care? I understand DeMar Hamlin, big story, NFL, but Peyton Hillis is a true American hero. Peyton Hillis went in. His kids were in trouble. So what did Peyton Hillis do? He, he did what most of us would think that we would do. We would go in and save them. Peyton Hillis has been discharged from the hospital. Peyton Hillis, again, was in ICU. He reportedly rescued family members during a swimming accident. The amount of love and gratitude I have for this incredible team that took care of Peyton is indescribable, his fiancée, Angela Cole, said. You all work like the perfected machine, which each and every one of you, so kind, so attentive, so caring. He'd been hospitalized since January 4th when he went in the water off the coast of Pensacola. Four people, two adults and two children, were struggling in the water when a bystander helped them get out. It was Peyton Hillis. He was on a ventilator in intensive care. That's a hero. That's an American hero. That's an American hero along the likes of the assistant trainer that went out and saved the life of DeMar Hamlin. We got heroes every day. And guess where they ain't? They ain't in the media writing hit pieces on good men. They're not. Those guys are punks. Peyton Hillis is a stud. Ah, ladies and gentlemen, let's give a massive, massive stock up to the offensive line, ladies and gentlemen, led by the great Teddy Karras Jr. Jr. I've talked about him numerous times, of the Cincinnati Bengals. Look, 172 yards rushing, an average of 5.1 yards per carry. Now, Joe Mixon carried the ball 20 times. He gained 105 yards. I'm no mathematician, but that's 5.3 yards a carry. Pretty good. Pretty good. 173 yards. Now, only one sack of Joe Burrow for two yards. I don't even know if it was a sack. Maybe he knelt down. But you got to give great credit to the offensive line. Much was made early in the year of this offensive line, but smart people understood, hey, you got to understand something. Offensive lines take a minute. They do. That taking a minute is now dominating 48 minutes, or however the hell long an NFL game is, uh, excuse me, 60 minutes. That's right. It's dominating. It went into Buffalo on a snowy day where offensive line play was going to be at a premium and dominated. Congratulations. Stock up. Offensive line. Cincinnati Bengals. Let's go with stock down. You know, we saw this when the idiots were rioting in the streets way back. But the other day, bigger idiots, Antifa decided, well, one of their own shot at a cop, ultimately got shot and killed, and that's a good time to try to burn down Atlanta. 
This Antifa group, as you know, is a bunch of little scrawny white dudes that wear masks and carry big guns. So they started blowing up everything. For some reason, ABC News described it as this. Let's go to the ABC News video. Did we not have ABC News describing it as a peaceful protest? ABC News described this as a peaceful protest. Peaceful protest? Cars are on fire and it's a peaceful protest? I don't think this is very peaceful. I don't think there's anything peaceful about it. The level of stupid that transpires from our, our media is stunning. Six people were arrested over a peaceful protest that turned violent in Atlanta. Let me explain something to you. When Antifa comes to town, it is not peaceful. In fact, Antifa and, well, no, wait, BLM tried to come to a small town in Michigan. They were going to, because for whatever the reason, take over a, uh, a gun shop. The folks at that small town said, nay, nay. The folks at that small town said, screw you. They got armed. And guess what? Paid protesters went away. It's time for us to stand up. It's time for us to stand up to these paid protesters. It's time for us to stand up to people trying to interfere with our way of life. And it's time for our legacy media to get their head out of their backside. I mean, look, here at OutKick, we're kicking the crap out of everything. Everything. Because we tell you like it is, it ain't woke. I saw today a bunch of blogger boys at SB Nation lost their jobs. I don't want anybody to lose their job, but a bunch of smart Alex that never have done anything that are woke losing their job. Well, go woke, get broke. Sorry. Hey, our president is in the news, Jersey Joe Biden. Jersey Joe Biden has decided that Jersey Joe Biden is going to, and always has, been the stealer of documents. Jersey Joe Biden, more documents have been found, and I don't know. Are you surprised? Is anybody surprised? Would it be surprising to you if somebody came out and said, you know, there's a diary that says Joe Biden actually took showers with his daughter uh, when she was like 12. What are you doing, Joe? Or his niece or whatever the hell it is, allegedly. What are you doing? Like nothing, my point is nothing would surprise you about this guy. There isn't a single thing that is done by Joe Biden that would surprise you. So now we've got Joe Biden taking more documents going back to when he was in the Senate. Really? Does that surprise you? Of course it doesn't surprise you. But what Joe Biden is saying, and it's smart, is, yeah, we take this very seriously. We haven't done anything wrong. See, here's the deal. That's all you got to say. When you have a job like mine, you pay attention to this stuff. When you're just a regular citizen that's out there, you don't. I have a very close family member that had no idea what the Twitter files is. She's a really, really staunch liberal. No idea what the Twitter files is. And she actually told us that she wants, and very political, by the way, but apparently not political enough to pay attention. She told us, quoting, I want Jib, whatever his name is, Buddha Judge, to be 
the president. Really? Why do you want Pete Buttigieg to be the president? Well, he seems really smart. Really? That's why you want somebody to be the president? Now, understand, this is a person that will fight you. This is a person that called me Donald Trump one time. See, I learned not to be, I love my family members, but I learned that people don't really pay that much attention. They don't. And they really only pay attention to what, quote, their side is. So Biden doing this really doesn't resonate with a whole lot of, I don't know, normal people. It resonates with people that are actually paying attention. But the problem you have is simply this. The problem you have is the majority of people do not pay attention. They see their side and say, oh, well, this is my side. There is no chance that you could ever vote for Joe Biden if you're paying attention or if you can think for yourself. How about this? Stock down, Democratic whip, Catherine Clark. I didn't put this on the sheet. Her son was arrested for assaulting a Boston cop during an Antifa rally. Now, this is a woman that said that her children have nightmares about climate change. (laughs) To your climate change. (laughs) To your kids. Uh, Stefan Diggs. Look, if you're going to be a wide receiver and you're going to be a complete pain in the backside, be original. Yell at your quarterback. Guess what? Stephon Diggs gave him all this. Stephon Diggs, the wide receiver for Buffalo. If you're going to be a wide receiver, be original. Antonio Brown, whether you like him or dislike him, he was at least original. Took off his jersey, went into the end zone, acted like a freaking mental case, and did his thing. Stephon Diggs, there's nothing original here. Stephon Diggs gave it to his quarterback on the sideline, and then he packed up all his stuff. A, play, a teammate or somebody had to go get him and bring him back, and then he got all his stuff and left again. Honest to God, what a bunch of whiny little batches. Stefan digs my backside. What is wrong? You know, the world is becoming AAU. We've seen it in the NBA. We saw it this weekend. We see it in the NFL. I didn't get the ball. I'm going to my daddy and my mommy and my cousins and my... I didn't get the ball, Stephon Diggs. We didn't win. Honest to God, I don't know. Somebody needed, and probably still needs to, just put him over your knee and paddle somebody. People need paddling these days. Put paddling back in schools. If daddies are going to be so unaware in our country, this is a totally different subject, we need paddling. We need Sister Christopher making girls drop to their knees to see how high their hems are. We need Father Ward that'll just punch you. That's what we need. We need religion and discipline back in schools and on our sports teams. The general manager of the Colts, it's about as undisciplined a place, no accountability, as long as the PR is good. I thought the Bills were different. Oh, my God, Stephon Diggs, I didn't get the ball. Why didn't you give me the ball? I had a player do that, a kid named Jordan Crawford, a complete idiot named Jordan Crawford. Played for me at IU in the seven days I was the coach there. We beat Minnesota. In fact, during the game, DJ White, one of the players in Indiana, came up to me and said, you got to take that idiot out. I go, look at the bench. I don't have anybody else. I got to play that idiot. After the game, he didn't get his points. So he put his clothes. I said, let's all wait for little Jordan. Let's wait for little Jordan to pack his stuff and mumbling. I mean, honest to God, if professional sports are becoming like AAU, I'm looking at one guy now. It's unbelievable.
right, Stephon Diggs. I didn't get the ball. I'll show them I'm going to leave. Yeah, all right. Be original. That's a wide receiver thing forever. Randy Moss. Look, Randy Moss parlayed it into a great career on TV. No bigger bats than Randy Moss. Be original. Hey, look, I'll give you a hint. Media is afraid of you, Stephon. You can do anything you want. Anything you want. White media, they're not going to say a word. African-American media, I'll have your back. Do whatever you want, but do it original. Let's go. All right. Woke dope. What say you? What do you guys got right now? What do you got? What's going on? This is unbelievable. This can't be right. You have to prove Biden had legal possession. Just having them in your house doesn't cut it. Nothing in the facts indicate Biden had possession of the documents. Man, look, I understand people will defend. Believe me, I do. Nobody understands defending. Hell, I, I defended Bob Knight for years. I understand it. So we're all supposed to say, well, unless somebody physically, physically has the documents in their hand, in their hand, then there's no possession. I would argue talking about the documents as being in your garage, knowing where they are, having them, quote, locked up next to my Corvette, If I were on a jury, I would say, well, that's possession. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say, listen, that's possession. I don't know. Um, To me, it is. Why do we keep finding these things? And why do folks, because I learned in diversity training, you're not supposed to say guys. I ever tell you a story. Nah, never mind. I learned in diversity training, we're not supposed to say guys, we're supposed to say folks. Why do folks in the legacy media not cover this? Why is it a big deal that Tony Dungy sent a tweet? A tweet. But this isn't covered by the same people that are, I think, being incredibly racist to Tony Dungy. A conservative African-American male gets called ignorant. 2022. Anyway, why? Why aren't they covering this? Why isn't this a bigger story? It seems to me that documents are named classified because, well, only certain people should see them. Only people with certain security clearance should see them. It also seems to me that if you are going to take classified documents, they have some importance to you. Now, what a crazy idea. What is the importance? Now, look, I don't pretend to listen to the media. I'm not going to listen to the media, but it's all we got right now. So I hear these are classified documents pertaining to the Ukraine and Russia. Now Joe Biden is the president. What is he doing? Open checkbook to whom? The Ukraine. Joe Biden, allegedly, with his son, made millions, some say hundreds of millions, off of what? Dealings in Ukraine. And somehow, somewhere, there are documents found dealing with Ukraine in his possession. I go back to my original question. Doesn't it make sense that if you are going to take documents, 
you take those documents that pertain to you and have something of importance to you. Now, here's the question. Why are these being found? Why are all of a sudden these documents being found? And they're being found allegedly by Biden's people. Why? Why are they all of a sudden being found? Is this an orchestrated effort of clarity? Look, we know you're going to find out anyway. Here they are. Doesn't feel like that. Is this a democratic way of, I don't know, saying we're tired of Joe Biden? We know he has dementia. We know he's a liar. We know he cannot tell the truth in public ever. We know that if the legacy media ever decides that they want to actually look and do their job, this whole thing would be over and it may result in Joe Biden being in jail by the end of the year. So they're trying to get Joe Biden out of here. It seems like that. It sure does. That's what it seems like to me because I don't believe in coincidences when these kind of things happen. I don't believe that it is a coincidence that Joe Biden suddenly through somebody, somewhere, somehow, it was discovered that he had all these documents that pertain to him. Well, their documents aren't important, really. Then why'd you take them? Just took documents? Just said, I'm going to go home. I'm a vice president. I've been in Congress for years and years and years. I know the rules. Okay. So I'm just going to take a few of these ones that are classified home when I don't have the ability to declass. I'm just going to take them home. Of course, that's not it. I was waiting for 60 minutes to come back and defend Joe Biden. I was waiting for 60 minutes to say, hey, this is what happened. That's what I was waiting for. I was waiting for 60 minutes last night after football. We have the latest. Joe Biden didn't actually take him. Don't play us for fools. Don't play us for idiots. Come on, legacy media. Don't do that. Uh, Tomorrow, Fran Frischel is going to join us. Fran, who studied politics, I'm not going to put him on the spot because a middle-aged white guy talking politics and working for ESPN going to get you fired quick. I would never put my friend uh, uh, in that kind of position. I remember the memos when Seth Greenberg and I were talking about the debate and making fun of the debaters. I remember the memos. I mean, they weren't the same memos that Jalen Rose got, I'm sure, for lying on national TV. Uh, but hey, look, they were ours, and we loved them, and we laughed at them. So Franny's going to join us. Cato Kalen, thank you for today. Chad Withrow, make sure that you check out OutKick. Why is this coming on? I didn't ask you, Siri. So look, Siri just popped on. Did you hear me say, hey, Siri? No. They're listening to us. They're following us. They're watching us. See, 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 Siri all of a sudden's listening. Get off here, Siri.